Hello and welcome to the Purple Meeple Podcast, episode 17, The Energy Empire Strikes Back. I am Zachary Mark Whitaker Esquire, <laughs> and as always, I am joined by Sarah Boog. Hello, everybody. Um, this is our 17th episode. Yes, you mentioned. Um, in which we will be discussing... The Manhattan Project's Energy Empire. Yep, from Minion Games. And we're going to be talking about our favourite games for couples to play as it was Valentine's Day this week. It was indeed. And it's, you know, thematic and whatnot. Yeah, we try and keep on point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, what have you been doing this week? I've been doing things and stuff. Um, I've read three volumes of Sex Criminals and the new issue that came out yesterday. And I think it might be one of the best graphic novels, comics, whatever you want to call them, ever written by Matt Fraction and Chip Zarsky. I definitely agree with that. It's for mature readers only, um, mm. as it's called Sex Criminals. Shock. Yeah, kind of all there in the title, really, I suppose. Yeah, I can't really... Uh, it's it's not really about sex. It's got sex in it. It's more about the characters and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. It's just about very real people and people that you can relate to, and I think that's what I like about it so much. Um, yeah, I, I, when I first read it, I found it very, very relatable, and everyone I've said that to kind of doesn't accept that. No, it, it no, it took you a long time to accept it. No, I didn't, but I didn't not accept it because I didn't disagreed with you. I just wasn't sure about reading a book called Sex Criminals. Which I suppose is the issue with the name is that they've kind of alienated a lot a lot of people, but a lot of well, people are going to look at it and immediately go, yeah, all right. You do flick through it and you do see boobs, mm. and some people aren't comfortable with that, and I wasn't like super comfortable with that until I read it and I realised it's not really just about the boobs. But to be fair, it is on Image, and that that's a pretty regular thing with Image. I know, Saga's much like that. So if you're comfortable reading Saga, if you feel uncomfortable reading Sex Criminals, it's a bit odd. Mm. Um, I Unless it's because they're aliens, they don't count as real people. Well, there is that, I'm sure. We all agree. What about alien rights? Sounds like discrimination to me. <sighs> that's a whole different kettle of fish a different day and a different podcast that's not ours um no I, I think sex criminals is a really well written book i said in an article not too long ago that i think it's matter fractions best work ever oh i do really enjoy it kind of but I, speaking of chips asketh i um then went on to read the first volume of how the duck which is fun. I like How the Duck. Um, it's fun. I don't know if it's Squirrel Girl fun. It seems like a more cynical version of Squirrel Girl. I suppose that's the difference between Howard and uh, Doreen as characters. It's got a great Rocket Raccoon cameo, though. It's got a full Guardians cameo, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but the Rocket's the best thing about it. Rocket's normally the best thing about Guardians, though. True. What have you been reading? Coincidentally, some Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, look at that. Um... Just the other day, I started reading Black Vortex, which is a Guardians of the Galaxy X-Men crossover. Like the trial of Jean Grey? Yes, very much like the trial of, like the trial of Jean Grey. Except this time around, we've also roped Nova into it because... Oh, it's nice. He's a space character. Young Nova, old Nova. Young Nova, is it? Somewhere in the middle. Samuel Andrews, I want to say he's called. Sam Andrews, something like that. No um, idea. 
He takes over when Richard Ryder doesn't come back. I know. I've, I've read the stuff where Richard Ryder stopped, and that's when I stopped reading Nova, because it ended. Um, well, yeah, but, you know, there was this whole thing where everyone was being rebooted as di- random disassociated teenagers. Marvel now. That's right. Um, hey, it's how we got Squirrel Girl. <laughs> it's how we got Squirrel Girl. Second mention. Second mention, that's right. Um, so, yeah, Black Vortex is kind of a... There is a villain called Mr. Knife who has this almost looks like a mirror called the Black Vortex, which when you look into reflects back this potential version of you you could become. And if you submit to the Black Vortex, you kind of become this super powerful version of yourself, which is kind of argued as, you know, is it, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a force of evil or, you know? Sounds pretty neutral. If I had to give it an alignment. Th- that's the kind of thing it's like, I think it's the argument of the people who u- utilise it, a, a good or bad, not the weapon, not the actual mirror. Fair. Um, which I read that following the, there's a Star Lord book that leads into it, and then halfway through it's Black Vortex, which if you don't have the full collected Black Vortex, you're just going to get two random issues that mean nothing. That's helpful. Um, and I also read All New X-Men, The Ultimate Adventure, in which, you know, they team up with Miles Morales and the ul- the Ultimate X-Men because reasons. Okay, that doesn't seem really necessary. I'm also pretty sure that entire volume takes the Im- takes place in the space of two issues, which is kind of weird. Yeah, that's a bit odd. But you're going into really boring details about this now. I try. It's good work. Uh, I've also read Ghost in the Shell because we're doing it for our comic book club next month. And I felt like I should get the jump on that because it's pretty intense. It takes you a year to read a book. It doesn't take me a year to read a book. You're slower at reading than I am. I am slower at reading than you are because, you know, details. Nuances. Anyway, as we're doing it for the book club, are you going to spoil your opinion? Uh, I'm going to keep my opinion to myself for now. Good. It's good that you make convention books that you've read and then say, I'm not going to tell you about it. I okay, want to um, about it. But, you know, no, no, no. Don't spoil Let's move on. Went to go and see Lego Batman. We did indeed, which... You told me that condiment dude is a thing. Condiment king. No. What do you mean, He's definitely dude. What is he a king of? Condiments. No, that's not a thing. You can't be king of just mayo. I know that's his surname. What? Apparently his surname is mayo. I don't think I knew that. I don't think I know his real name. Oh. Someone that shared it on one of these various geek sites. Uh, okay. The my I'm only aware of Condiment King because there's a kind of Final Crisis Fallout book in which we see all these has-been villains get together and be all souped up and get big, powerful upgrades. Um, and one of them's Condiment King, and it's just like, cool, right? So that's the barrel we're scraping. Um, Lego Batman was fun though. I thought it was really good. The voice acting was strong. It was. I really like Will Arnett. I thought um, it was weird the age difference between Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson. A little bit weird, but I suppose that's only weird because of like knowledge of comic books. If you're going into it as a child, who let's face it, that's who this is aimed at, you're probably not aware of that being an issue. I don't think the song at the end was as strong as the um, Lego movie either. I I felt like there was a song just because the Lego movie had a song. Not because they wanted one or needed one. When I try and think of that song, I just get the Lego one in my head. 
well, it's it's something about friends and or family and friends being family and all that good timey stuff. I don't know. It's it's very happy. It's not very Batman. Yeah, it's a bit odd. But now I thought overall it was a funky film. It was quite laughable and nice. And yeah, it was Bane was really good in it. It's nice to see Bane, Bane being good in the film. Bane was surprisingly good. I mean, he hasn't been good since Batman and Robin. Um, Let's move on from that. We've also been playing some games. Yeah, like we have. Loads, we played like the Batman animated dice, dice game, game from Steve Jackson Games, um, which I actually really enjoyed. Um, it says it plays two to four people, but you know you can just ignore that because it's pretty much a zombie dice. It is kind of zombie dice with special abilities, I suppose is the summary. Yeah. There. So on your turn, you have a cup with some dice in them you shake the cup you pull three dice out you roll them if that you get some batman symbols you are playing as one of the bad guys trying to like rob a bank you're trying batman. yeah you were trying to ro- roll loot symbols if you roll batman symbols they're kind of locked as like you shotguns in zombie dice mm-hmm. if you roll alarms you can re-roll them which is kind of like your feet in zombie dice yeah i suppose so yeah yeah it's closest comparison yeah so you just keep rolling dice until you either decide to stop because you've got enough loot for that turn or until you roll three Batmans and you get caught and you lose everything. Um, you have special abilities, uh, depending on which character you choose. The characters are Poison Ivy, Catwoman, Riddler and the Joker. Uh, the Poison Ivy's ability is that she can like lock one of the blue Batman dice because there's three different colours, each with a different probability of symbols coming up. Hmm. Um, Catwoman can get extra loot. She doubles her blue loot. Yeah, and the Riddler gets an extra dice. He rolls four roll. at the start instead of three. And the Joker gets an extra point if he gets all three coloured dice. Four coloured or something? Four colours? Three colours? I thought it was orange, blue, and grey. I thought it was yellow. I can't remember. It'll play this like a week ago. I thought it was like four colours, maybe it was only three. Hey. Anyway, well, yeah, it's very, very um, zombie dice. So you can make um, extra villains if you want to. So you could throw in like Mr. Freeze and Talia or Raz or Ghoul or whoever you want just by making different coins with different abilities on them. I, I know this isn't the, like, the shared opinion of many, but every time someone goes to the Al Ghouls, I feel like it's just like, come on. That, that, that's not one of the superstar villains, is it? You, you know where I'm coming from? Not really. Okay. He's like, he runs a bunch of ninjas and comes back from the dead and is clinically insane. I know he's this. He's arguably more powerful than the Joker. I, I don't dispute he's more powerful, and I don't dispute he's got a pretty good, you know, right, good, good, good job with the ninjas and whatnot. But I, I always see it as this kind of... With from from my history of, of being a kid watching the animated series, getting into Batman, I'm always like, yeah, the Penguin, the Riddler, and then you read Batman comics and you get Ra's al Ghul all the time, and you never get the Riddler. So I think for me, it's kind of a the Riddler's the guy. I don't know. Most Batman comics I read, it's just a Joker. It's a lot of Joker. I think everyone who writes Batman wants to tell a Joker story. Fair. 
Um, but yeah, we played that. I quite liked it. That was fun. Mm. Um, um, you could just take out the special abilities and play it as zombie dice. As quite I've said. small as well, which is good. Yeah, I've not have a zombie dice variant, and Batman sells well with our friends, so it was worth picking up. We have an awful lot of Batman variants. Love letter, flux, dice. That might be it, but that's still it's quite a bad. lot. Not bad. You chuck the animated series on it, we're all over it. Yeah, it was fair. Um, we've also played Shadows Over Camelot. Yeah, that's a Days of Wonder game, which is the same company who did Ticket to Ride and Small World. So the components you know are going to be great. Mm. Which they were. Yeah, it was good. The little uh, Knights of the Round Table and whatnot. Which when anyone says Knights of the Round Table, I just get the song in my head. What song? We're in Knights of the Round Table. Okay, yeah, yeah. Monty Python. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, is it Sir Robin? He's cowardly. Brave, brave Sir Robin. Is he actually brave? I can't remember Holy Grail. I can't remember. But there's brave, brave Sir Robin. Because every time I start thinking about Holy Gra- Grail... You start thinking of Life of Brian. Which is better. Yeah, I prefer Life of Brian also. It feels like a full story, whereas... Um, Holy Grail at the end, I'm always like, wait, this is the end of this film? You just didn't what, finish the it. No, when it, they all just get arrested. Oh yeah. Because every yeah. time it gets to that, I'm like, "Is this all you had? Just we wrote a really good film, and then the last minute, it's like we have no idea how this film ends." So mass arrest. Anyway, Shadows Over Camelot for people who don't know, is a game set in Arthurian. Arthurian. Arthur- That's the right yeah. word. Arthurian. That's the word for it. Anyway, the King of Arthur time. And <laughs> you know what time it is. You King of Arthur time. You play as a knight of the round table, and um, there may be a traitor in your midst. You are trying to collect a certain amount of white swords, or well, more white swords than black swords. You get these little swords by achieving goals. That might be getting the Holy Grail, getting um, Excalibur, defeating the Pikes or the Saxons in battle. Or the Black Knight. So moving on to that. I'm interjecting. <laughs> defeating the Black Knight, getting Sir Lancelot's armor, or defeating the dragon. All these things give you white swords if you complete them. But also, if you lose, you get black swords from them. And they will be... These activities and stuff will all just carry on without you. Mm. So if no one's there to, like, fight the Saxons and the... The Saxons just win. The Saxons just win. So you just start getting black swords really easily. And then you've got traitors in your midst who are and one, anyway who's trying to make sure you get more black swords and isn't helping as much as they should be. Isn't that right, Zachary? Yes, it is. Um, the weird thing, uh, I was the traitor, obviously. Um, not through choice, just by yeah, definition. Um, the weird thing for me was I didn't have to do that much. I just kind of let you guys lose. Yeah, I feel like we didn't have much say in whether or not we won or not. It was just kind of like... I don't know how to win, but we never played it before, so it was on, it was kind of getting to grips. Yeah, it was a bit of a odd one. You have cards that you need to play, so you've got like Grail card, and you play that on the Grail, and that gives you um, it means you're closer to getting the Grail. And if you go to Excalibur, you have to discard cards. Your other cards have like fight symbols, and you need to use them to fight the Picts, fight the Saxons, and all these other things. But you need particular numbers in order to do it, or you need pairs or triples. And it gets quite it's not confusing, it makes sense when you play it. Yeah. But it's hard to explain without the 
showing you a board here. I, I did find, though, that in the, the last few minutes, you three were all weighing up, you know, well, if we do this, we'll win. But if we're wrong, we'll lose. And I'm sat there thinking, nah, you're going to lose. No matter which way you slice this, you lose, I win. But I think we knew we'd lost about half an hour before the game ended, at least. Potentially, yeah. And it was a, it was a good game, and I kind of liked it, but it's just that feeling of knowing you've lost is just really annoying. I wouldn't know anything about that. Okay, but you played Dead of Winter, which is a similar kind of traitor game. I feel with that, you have, even when, I don't know, you lose and you lose quicker. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't drag it out till the end. Yeah, I think if you lose Dead of Winter, you lose Dead of Winter. Shadows over Camelot is kind of a, oh, I think we've lost. Best play till the end, so double check. And I suppose you could claw it back. It seems much more difficult. But I like that Dead of Winter just no holds bad. Look, you are dead. Bye. I, I understand why uh, Shadows has got quite a good rep and quite a lot of people are into it. It's I, I quite like Arthurian Legend as well, which probably helps. But the, Theme is easy to sell on. Mm, all guys, don't it? There's Guinevere. And... Morgana. And come on, help me out here. You no. watch Merlin. Is that it? Morgos. But I don't think she's in that game. Okay, so yeah, it's a lot of guys. And a lot of, you know. Because I loved the minis because they're really cool because it comes with all the night minis and it's like, oh, they're all guys. And I was like, of course they are. But it was just like, oh. <laughs> I know we like should be strictly true to history, the history that didn't happen, but you know. Have you read any um, DC stuff with Shining Knight in? Nope. There's DC characters called Shining Knight. I I could have guessed that. <laughs> Who is this knight of the Round Table called? Who's Shining? Yes. See what you got. Kind of gold armor, flying horse. Um, called Justin, who is with the. Knights of the Round Table, he gets separated from them and he is in the modern day, which is retold in Seven Soldiers of Victory. But also in Seven Soldiers of Victory, he kind of, Grant Morrison ups the ante, and I don't know if this is appears in things before, we're just halfway through, it's just suddenly, no, Justin's a woman. He's not really called Justin. He's, she's just been pretending to be a guy, so she could be a knight. This is a spoiler. I feel like this is a spoiler. No one is ever going to read Seven Soldiers of Victory. It's a miracle I did. It's <laughs> the good bits don't last long enough. Zatanna, Ortir, these are the good things. Was Justin not a good one? It's good. It's just a bit. There's only so many times, so long you can play the. This uh, person thinks they're a knight of the round table and they have a flying horse. They turn up in New York City in armor, and the police don't believe them. That's kind of a... It happens a lot in comics. I feel like that's a film. It probably definitely is. I know Tenth Kingdom was a film. That was great. Where it's the other way around. Yeah. Happens a lot, a lot the other way around. There's, there's probably it, things very similar, which I think that's the thing. It, it doesn't feel like the newest. But nonetheless, Female Knight in uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory. 
Fair enough. Should we uh, move on to our review for the episode? Uh, I suppose we can do, you know. This is a solid, what, like 20 minutes then? Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's a reasonable time to move on if we're going to try and stick to schedule. I love that you think we have a schedule these days. Um, okay, so. <coughs> like 20 minutes for each segment. Like 20 minutes for the catch-up, then for the review, and then for the topic. Let's go for it, then. Um, our review for this week is for the Manhattan Project energy empire which is a is from minion games and is a worker placement game for one to five players where each player takes control of a nation competing for the most victory points energy empire is a turn-based game beginning with the starting player and proceeding clockwise players take turns until the game ends each turn may be either a work turn or a generate turn on a work turn, you can place a worker on the main board or active structures that you have previously bought. On a generator turn, you can do one of the fo- well, no, you can do all of the following. Um, one, claim an achievement. Two, return workers and discard energy. Three, refine oil to gain petroleum dice. Four, roll energy dice and gain energy. Five, pollute. The die with the highest number is the one that determines your pollution for this turn. If it's a clean energy that's highest, you remove a pollution token from the global impact track and discard it. If it's a die with a pollution symbol, the token is placed on your player board. When a stack of pollution tokens are removed, this will trigger an event that affects all players. This can be a negative or positive effect and will happen throughout the game. The end of the game is triggered when the last pollution token is removed from the global impact track. At that point, each player gets one more turn, including the player who triggered the end game. Then points are tallied to determine the winner. And that is our overview of Energy Empire. Thank you. Yeah, in the um, two-player game, it pretty much has all the same rules. The only difference is, is that um, there's locations on the board where you can buy different buildings. These are either um, scientific buildings, commerce places, or areas of uh, industry. Industry was the word I could not think of, sorry. Um, so you can buy these, but in a two-player game, there's like the color of worker that you're not using, you put on those places, and it has this cool mechanic where you have to use energy in order to go somewhere if someone else is there. Mm. So you have to have be kind of stack the energy on top of your person so you have to have like it be higher than the person before you so if you are the first person to place you can just place down one worker yeah if you are then the second person you have to place one worker and one energy the third person has to place one worker and two energy or if you are the first person you could place one worker and one energy meaning that the next person then has to play a worker and two energy and then a worker and three energy and make it harder for people to play in certain places but who would be that strategic? Many, many people would. Um, no, there is that aspect. I find when it's only two players, we don't often have the issue of both going for the same thing. There's a lot of choices, and I feel like if someone's gone for something that you wanted, you can easily go for a different thing. Yeah, there's normally a suitable alternative knocking around, which doesn't hurt, especially if you've got your own structures. Yeah, um... We'll talk about gameplay in a minute. So the board has like loads of different places you can go on. So you talked about the buying places. There's the um 
there's a UN bit where you can go and you can pay like money and science in order to get your re- reputation with the UN up. Yeah, I suppose that's the best way of describing it. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd. It gives you end game really. victory points at the end, and if you're further in the lead with that, you get an extra three victory points, something like that. So it's the only way, kind of on the board, you can see progression of getting victory points. When you buy the buildings that I said earlier, you also get victory points for those. And you get victory points for the um, amount of clear t- spaces that you've got on your own player board that haven't been polluted. Uh, which is quite easy to keep clean if you play it right. I do take slight offense to the UN track because it, right, the only one person can get to the end, which is 17 points. And that person, according to the rule book, still gets the bonus three for being in the lead, which my assumption would be that those three go to whoever's in the lead if there is no one at 17, and it kind of bugs me every time we play this, that it's like, here's three points because you've already won, which is just a really odd aspect for me. Yeah, last time we played this, there was only like two was three points between us? There were three points between and us. And I'd got the bonus for being in the lead and was the furthest on that track. Which I just think is an odd mechanic to, ha- to have for seemingly no reason. I don't know. Unless, I don't I'm know. Not, I'm not a playtester. Uh, unless they played it a thousand times and found that without it you always draw. <laughs> you always draw. And the only definitive win is to get, finish the UN track first. Now, I'm not saying that's true, but every time you've done it, you have won. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, even when we purposely tried to play different tactics so we could properly evaluate, I am just like, well, I have to do the UN track as well or else I'm going to lose. <laughs> and I lost. Um, no, um... Past the victory-wise, I think the UN track is quite an important one. Um, but then it's like keeping... I think keeping you... I think you can get distracted by keeping your place clean. I don't think it necessarily gives you that many points. I think getting buildings and stuff like that can give you more points in the end. But uh, whenever you get these global impact hmm. events, you get points for the amount of clean spaces you've got then, as well as at the end of the game. So it is quite a good... I, I think there's a certain amount of benefit to it. I think it all mounts up. Plus, you feel just smug and good about yourself, saving the world. And isn't that what recycling's all about? No. Huh, okay. Um, it's about the council and they're taking your bins three times, once every three weeks. Well, okay, yeah, that's true. But uh, in a board game sense. No. No, okay, just me. Okay. But, um, different people, different strokes. Yeah, it's on. cool because when you buy these buildings, you then you you get this way of activating this place that's on your own personal space. So you end up just buying places. So there's only one recycling point on the board. But if you buy the building that lets you recycle, you can just keep doing it on your own thing and not fight with other people, mm, which true. is kind of nice to just because you end up getting kind of a really nice little engine going. So I had one yeah. where I could get oil quite easily, and then I could sell that oil to for victory points and then it was just kind of getting more oil and then getting more victory points and kind of going around this little cycle i mm, kind of like i think it. it's easy to get, to get little systems going but this is something we said about 
um, Manhattan Project chain reaction. chain reaction is you feel like you're getting a, a mechanism going. There's less of that with this because you are you stop yourself, so you can only play. I could only play on that uh, each of those cards once because they have little tokens on them, which says that. So you'll have it where it's got a man, and sometimes you have uh, like two men, and you can do that twice. Yeah. And sometimes the two men will mean that you have to. It'll cost you two men to use it once. Yeah. They're kind of separated by a full thing if it's two separate things, but it, it makes sense when you see the picture. I'm yeah, they're clearly divided when like, you can play something twice. Um, no, there's, there's an, a hell of a lot of options for what you can do on your turn, mm. which some are more useful than others. You always run out of workers as well because there's only one space that gives you extra workers and it, seems, and it gives you pollution. So you're always like, I don't know if I want an extra worker. And then you don't have the worker and you're like, I should have got the extra worker. Because yeah. you can use energy on your own cards and your own buildings and stuff, but you ha can only use workers on the main board. This is true. And at the end of you, when you need to um, do the generate phase, all your energy gets discarded and you have to just re-roll dice to get your energy. And you always have to pollute. Mm. So sometimes you'll strike it lucky and you might have... So there's different dice that work different ways. You've got um, wind energy, water energy, um, the oil one, which is the black dye. Petroleum. Um, the petroleum is the brown dye, which is the temporary one that you can dispose of. Um, After. You can dispose of an oil in your turn to get a temporary brown dice that will give you uh, energy for that turn. And then yellow, which is the nuclear power, which will give you a special kind of pollution token that takes two recycle actions to get rid of so it's yeah. more damaging to your environment but then Which you get victory points for if when you get these energies you get um different types of dice you get victory points for those at the end as well i nodded then that's not much good to the world no it's not um <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the different dice is interesting because there's your nation comes with certain things you get to begin with. So it can be you start with oil if you're, I don't know, an oil-based country. Like Iraq. Iraq starts with a lot of oil. Uh, whereas France starts with a um, one of those pollution nuclear power dice. Okay. So like you start your first game having them. There's 10 countries in total. Yeah. Um, so it ends in quite a lot of different ways of gameplay. The starting things you have kind of make a big difference to what you want to do. There's also um, achievement cards that you start with, one of them, mm -hmm. which gives you a secret objective that you're trying to achieve by the end of the game. But they have on the board, you can go and get extra of these, which are just out yeah. for you to buy, if you which I really like as a mechanic. I like that in Snowdonia. But to get them, you have to, when you, when you generate, you have to have At least either two, two energies or, or energy. two workers or a combination remaining which means it can feel like you're not using all the workers you could yeah so but it could get you more points at the end so it's kind of uh yeah because it might mean that you get more points at the end for having um clean oceans or clean forests or clean air or something like that so it leaves you something more to work towards there's one that gives you points just for having the most achievements yeah which kind of pays for well, it itself. gives you a point for every achievement card you have yes which is different so I really like the kind of secret objective thing. I like the having the set different starting powers and stuff like that is really cool. Mm. Uh, but yeah, gameplay-wise, there's a lot of options, but it's, it's quite a short game. It doesn't take as long as you'd expect it to. It, it takes I, probably about an hour and a half, if that. I think 
yeah, an hour and a half is probably fair, and I do feel like a lot of work placement stuff can kind of drag on for a while. Yeah, I think this has been a quite a quick one, and I quite like the theme with it. Um, the impact cards that you get are quite thematic, thematic as well, so it'll be like the certain ones where you have yellow, not yellow, green cards to begin with, which are less impacting on the world. Mm. So it might just mean that you can dispose of a worker in order to get extra victory points or something like that. Yeah, nice positive things. And then at the end, it means that like if you go into there's like war has come out. So if you go into a place with another worker, you have to use an extra energy than you normally would in order to go to that same space. Yeah. Because it's like more effort to go there because you're in war, in war with these countries mm. now. So it kind of makes it a little bit more thematic in what you're doing, but it makes it more dangerous. And also, as you're going through the game, the cost of oil increases. So if you play early game trying to stock up on oil, then at the end of the game, you can sell it for a lot of money. Yeah, which is good. I mean, I've never done that, but I hear good things. Well, I tried to do that in the last game, but I ended up getting the achievement card that meant that I got um, victory points for the amount of oil I had. So I was just like, well, I'm just going to keep all this oil I've amassed. We also had something on one of the effect cards that meant um, we both had to place a nuclear token on a location, and anyone who went on that location would then get nuclear uh, pollution, which I put on the oil thing as soon as I realised you had, like, 50 oil barrels stacked in front of you. <laughs> yeah, so I just didn't go. Um, so should we bounce along to components? Uh, yeah, we can do. Um, oh, I just wanted to say about the global impact cards. One thing I really like about it is that it tells you to refresh the buy cards. Yes. So every time you turn it over, you either have the industry, the commerce, or the research token at the top, and you discard those cards and draw new ones that you can buy from. So it just keeps the deck refreshed, and if there's, it doesn't keep with the same old buildings stuck out there that you might not want. Yeah, because it can be it can be difficult in certain games if the, the if there's a marketplace type feature if it gets locked for a long time i f- think the game does start to show mm. like um splendor can be one for that if you end up with just like a row of green cards it's like i don't need any green cards you do get that sense of yeah it's good that it keeps it fresh and keeps you one and you you there's one that you can look at those cards so you can see what's going to get refreshed so it might think right well i'm going to go on this to get some science then i can see what's coming in future and this yeah, kind of thing, the, so um, it makes it interesting. I think the science things are quite interesting because they have different benefits. You can if get a science and look at what's coming, and science is also used to recycle. So if you and stop that also puts you up in the UN track, yeah. which is why you have a cleaner environment than me, and why I'm always further up in the UN track. Interesting. I don't think I'd thought about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, on to components. Um, they're all really good. Yeah, so the, the workers are cardboard, but they're like really thick stock cardboard that they've yeah. used. So, I don't mind that too much. I'd have preferred Meeple's. Look well, at what the show's named. Yeah, but it's like me. I, I, m- one of my only things, the science and the coins are cardboard, and I think those are the only things other than... Cardboard components, I'd rather have something better. Yeah, I'd rather go plastic or wood. But I think my thing with the... It would be nice to have meeples, but I almost feel like you've got the little worker blocks rather than meeples just because so many worker placement games do have meeples. And these fit on your board quite well. 
Yeah, I feel like so, it's probably a, a very conscious choice to not give you the traditional. But I really like the oil barrels because they're plastic and they look like proper oil barrels. The oil barrels are heavy. I don't know why they decided on those. Yeah, let's not go carb, but let's get proper oil. But it, it looks really cool. It, it's strange because the, it's the oil barrels, the um, steel or iron. I'm not sure which one it's meant to be. Which are represented as little girders. Yeah, the, the iron's really cool and the girders. Little wooden girders. Which is it's, it's weird that they're wooden, but then I think about all the plastic. Yeah. It's like they were just throwing And then you've just got it. plastic cubes for plastic. Yeah, which is even weirder because I'm like, wait, what are these pink cubes? Plastic. Like plastic. Like, yes, yes, they are. It's wow, okay. Um, what other components have we got? It's, that's basically it, isn't it? Yeah, you've got your player cards, which are just, they're okay. Player cards, yeah, um, they, they, they do as they need to. The actual board where you place your workers on is like quite, it's not small, but it's not massive, and I quite appreciate that. Ticket to ride size, maybe? It's smaller than that, much smaller than Ticket to Ride. Smaller than Ticket to Ride, you heard it here first. Um, because that's how I gauge things. No, it's not that big, which I quite appreciate. It, it's good that it's not a huge game and it folds up quite small. When you've got the higher player count, so table space can be a hog because you've got each personal player aid. Um, I suppose that's just the thing of how you distribute and how big your table is and stuff like that, but that is an issue. Um, especially because there's a, a right way up for the board. That's you always, all there's the right so side. many things. Play, work placement games always has as a right way up. Yeah. Um, if you're the person looking at it upside down, you're at a disadvantage. True. <laughs> the, the dice are nice. I like the dice. They're quite... They're bigger than normal dice. Yeah, so when you get energy, you get dice, and you roll them, and that's how much energy that you get. It's pretty much it. The different colours. Some of them has, have gas masks on. Some of them don't and have nuclear waste. Some of them have just, you know, good things. And it's nice to roll dice. I like dice. It's just fun. It's just fun to roll dice. Are you just happy that this is kind of a Euro game with dice? Yeah, because I like dice. And it's not like the dice don't make a massive impact. It's just the amount of energy you get. So if you get the yellow energy, which is the nuclear waste one, the lowest amount of energy you can get from that is two. And the highest you can get is four I or three. Yeah, I think, I want to say or is it three four. I've, I've not had I nuclear energy the last... Last time we played, I didn't have nuclear energy. Um, and then, like, remember. the clean dice, you can just get one of one or, like, two from. Yeah. And that's it. And it's like, oh. You can get more. There are high So, yeah, on you there. can get, if you get the green die, you can get um, two or three, which is also clean energy. Yeah. And then if you get, um, there's, like, the medium <laughs> ground one, which is the petroleum oil one. Petroleum and oil both give you, like, two or three, but you you're more likely to get three rather than two. Which you kind of definitely want to combine with having one of the good dyes. Well, even if you unlock the bad dyes, like the, the ones that are bad for the environment, you don't have to use them. So if you don't yeah. use them, you you don't have to risk you that You can pollution. just keep hold of them rather than rolling them. You can yeah. You get to choose how many dice you roll when you're rolling for energy. Yeah. So that's completely up to you. What do you think of um, theme-wise? Um... I, I think I'm quite happy with the theme. I like the theme, but it is quite abstract. I don't think there's much linking it to the theme. I think the stuff like they've done with the barrels and the components is what kind of links you more to the theme than the actual gameplay. I, I think for the theme, I think the theme comes across stronger in 
chain reaction. Yeah, I agree. I think in this, it's kind of the theme's there. I suppose it's like that with a lot of worker placement games where the theme is just like, yeah, I suppose there's a theme, maybe. I think what makes, yeah, I think the components sell the theme. I think if the components were something else. I think the stuff like we were saying about the starting stuff you get from different countries as well kind of works thematically. Like I said, with Iraq having a lot of oil and stuff like that, that kind of works. There's certain aspects that kind of totally sell the theme that's there, which is cool. Um, But there are times when it's like, I could be playing any worker placement game in the world right now. These themes are just... Look how clean your board is. Damn right. (laughs) Um, No, I I like the theme, Um, even if it isn't the strongest. It's not completely solid, I think. Mm, It's fair enough. Um, I suppose this is the bit where we do the overall talking. Yeah, um, I think with different player counts, it's one of those the two player rules. Um, and so I like it when they're not a massive change in the regular rules, so mm. which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's it's nice to not feel like it's a different game just because there's less people there. When you've got the higher player counts, you can have the analysis paralysis problem where people just take forever to decide what they're doing. So when you're at like the five for the player count. I personally think that's a bit high because when it comes back round to you, you just like, like uh, what I wanted to do is now no longer relevant. So you know. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I think the more people you have, the more you kind of have to just think on your feet and just not really have a strategy. Yeah, I think the like I like the two player. I think three is a nice number for this, and I th- mm. I don't think I'd do five again. I think four is like my max with this one. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption with it just four is probably the best number well not the best number three is probably the best the number higher fours. end yeah five th- that's a lot of people uh, but you can sell it with a lot of games There's yeah games i think they've put the a five player, player in so they've got a five player in there is a solo variant but i haven't played it so i'm not gonna talk about it i'm gonna be honest good talk um it's nice that they put solo rules in for people who play solo that's true i, I don't it's, it's nice to include it um, so would you like to move on to ranking? Yeah, why not? Do I go through the system? Um, so our ranking system is as follows. One, game has little to no merit. Please, God, make it stop. Two, would play again with certain groups but not a fan. Some merit. Three, decent game. Wouldn't necessarily buy it but wouldn't turn down the chance to play. Four, good game. Would purchase and play with some groups. Five would rarely turn down a play and would definitely purchase. Fantastic game. So, with that being said, Sarah Booth, where do you stand? I think I'm, I really like worker placement games. They're um, one of the Euro end games that I really enjoy the most. Um, I think That's this, the, for the length of <laughs> game and stuff like that, I think it's really strong. I think the choices you've got when you decide on what you're trying to do, the engine you can build kind of they're not too broken that you steam at storm ahead from new players. I kind of like because you kind of limit the amount of times you can do what you want to do. But no, I think it's really strong. I really enjoy it. Um, I quite like the theme. I'm always a sucker for a science theme. Um, yeah, I can agree with that. It's a good theme. Um, I do like the length. I think it's a relatively decent length game. It's kind of meaty. When you want to just sit down and play a bit of a meaty, thinky game, it's nice. It's a good one for that without being like over two hours because I kind of I struggle when it's like more than two hour game. Yeah, the 
there's a kind of sweet spot there, I suppose. And then your game's too long. I think an hour and a half. An hour to an hour and a half is a good length for a game. Especially for like a Euro game. When you're playing something, like for us anyway, when you're playing something like Time Stories, if, it, if you sat there for four hours, I don't care. Yeah, I think it depends what the game is. I'm, I think it's pretty well known at this point that I'm not a huge Euro game kind of guy. Mm. I don't mind work placement on occasion. This, yeah, I like this. I think it, it flows well, and I don't think it gets too bogged down in being abstract. No, I think it's cool. I think cause especially your later <laughs> turns, you are thinking more about what you want to do, and you kind of the buildings that you're buying, you're really thinking about what you need to actually get your points to win. Um, but no, I really enjoy it. I think um, overall, I think I'm going to go with a four. I think that's fair. I, I, I would agree on four. Um, one of my statements with this that I probably should say, I guess, is as someone who isn't a Euro game person, I think the theme saves this. I think a lot of worker placement games I have come across or Euro games that I'm not into have themes that don't appeal to me. Are you talking about Snowdonia? Snowdonia is actually a decent game, but based on if you showed me Snowdonia and told me the theme, there's only so long before my brain's going to start making up something more interesting. Yeah, I get that. Which building trains in Wales can only be so interesting. Yeah, it's a bit of a... Well, it's not in building trains, it's just tracks. It's yeah. It's tracks in Wales. So that that is a thing. It's like, okay. Whereas, uh, you know, scientists, nuclear things, energy. Ma! You know, Manhattan, projects. Ma. It's all kind of a... Yeah, it, it's a lot more engaging... Then, remember when we built that train track to Snowdonia? Nope. No, I don't. Honestly, I really, really enjoy Snowdonia. I, I um, But I think that this is on par with it. I enjoyed like Snowdonia. Wise. I think this is better, but probably because of the theme. They've both got that. I really like the fact that you can see your special hidden objective things on the board and pick them extra ones i really like that as a thing something i have to throw in with snowdonia which i think i mentioned on a previous podcast is it just leads to me going no i've never been i have no desire to i'm not bothered and just being in a th- with a room full of, with a table full of people going did you not go when you were in school no <laughs> no i have not that's me on snowdonia not been no plans to change that let me know if I should. Apparently, it's great. It's not a train. Lovely train track. I hope. <laughs> um, Zach out. Now, I, yeah, four and four for this. So, we're going to go eight for the full <laughs> Meeple rating for, God, what's this game? Energy Empire, not Snowdonia. I've got so <laughs> sidetracked there. Uh, you can tell we're recording this in the evening, can't you? We're just knackered. <laughs> uh, Manhattan Project's Energy Empire is an 8 from the Purple Meeple. I think the theme elevates this to that status. I am. Um, I think the gameplay is what makes this a strong one. The gameplay's good as well. I like the gameplay. I think it's very smooth. Okay. 8 out of 10. That's a good one. We'll keep it. <laughs> Um, so, that would bring us to this week's topic relief. 
in go. which we are discussing the top five two-player games we would recommend for couples. Well, not two-player games. The games that we recommend for couples that can play too. It's all about how you say it, Sarah. So... Same sentence, different order. That's what I'm hearing here. Yeah, so our favourite games for couples to play, like, you know, it's date night, you want to stay in, you want to you wanna play a board game with your significant offer. These are the ones we'd recommend. None of them have love in the title. Coincidentally, love letter is good, though. <laughs> Does that apply too? Yeah, we've played it too. Okay. Anyway. Whew. Might edit that bit out. Um, <laughs> you can't be bothered. Ah, uh, sometimes I edit. But you'd never know when. Um All right, do you wanna kick this off or shall I have you talked too much and you want me to go? Um I I, I can holler at these people some more. Ready? That's a yes from Sarah who isn't speaking. I nodded. Um so, number five on our top five of couples games, five, is Burgle Bros from Tim Fowers. Burgle Bros is a cooperative game for one to four players. Players are unique members of a crew trying to pull off a robbery of a highly secure building. Da, 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 da. It's Ocean's Eleven, the game. It is. I really like it. I like the little meeples with the stickers on them and your little special powers for your different people. The fact you've got an advanced power or a basic power. It's and image. Nice. And image. Your image changes depending on which kind of power you're going for. So. We, uh, we re- we've reviewed Yeah, this, yeah, we've reviewed this. Right? We really like this um, game. This is one of my favourite Still co-ops. like this game. Um, if you want to play a co-op with your significant other, <laughs> you want to play something a bit different, the theme is grabbing for anyone because you just sell it on George Clooney. I, I like Ocean's Eleven. I know, me I too. I like the sequels as well. Am I right in thinking they're doing a prequel? No idea, there might be. I'm but no, sure I saw something about it. It's really good, the game, though. You're just trying to come in, you're trying to find the vault, and you're trying to find the stairs. When you find the vault, you are trying to find the Cop. orthogonal tiles from them. So the ones that are straight across from them and the ones that are in both directions. The row and column. Yeah. So, and then get the numbers on those tiles, which will give you the code that you need to crack in order to crack the safe. Once you've cracked the safe, you steal an item of treasure. Some kind of treasure, which might be a chihuahua that barks and gets attention from the, the guards. guards. Because yes. why wouldn't you keep a chihuahua in the safe? I think there's a cat as well, isn't there? Yeah. But so, some of them are good and some of the treasures, it's like, why why would this have happened? Yeah, some of them just are like, oh, just get a special ability for yourself for the rest of the game. Yeah. there's The, uh, there's g- the gold bars have come up a couple of times with us, which you take one and it's like, surprise, someone else has to get the other one. Yeah. It's like, well, that's inconvenient. No, I like it, though. It's just a really fun game. It's different. There's loads of different treasures in the deck. There's loads of different characters you can choose from, with mixture of males and females, which is important for some people. I really like it. I think Burgle Bros is probably one of my favourite games still. Yeah, I really like it. We should play that again soon. It's great. We should. Um, Tim Powers, though, also did Paperback. Which yeah, is Paperback is also and a great couples game. Well. That's not in our list. It's but not, but, you know, if we're, doing, if we're doing a right. top ten, but we don't do tens, um, paperback would probably be on it. Yeah, I'm a big um, fan of paperback. Check that out. It's a deck building word based game, similar to Scrabble, but you know, without the pain of playing Scrabble. Mm. Um, so would you like to take number four? I can take number four. Number four we've gone for 
Cthulhu Realms from Tasty Minstrel Games. It is a two to four player game where you are trying to reduce your opponent's insanity to zero or have more insanity than them before the deck runs out. You are playing different cards against each other, sort of almost like Magic the Gathering-esque. You're trying to like get the person's health or insanity down to zero, which yeah. you're trying to do that in Magic. <coughs> so it has that kind of feel. You might be a big Magic player, but you know it feels like a bit of a stretch to get your partner to play it. Try Cthulhu Realms. Star Realms is also a good alternative, but I kind of like the Cthulhu feel. I like Cthulhu Realms a lot. I think as a deck builder, it's it's pretty solid, and you get the bonus that I have, which is just every time I read the words "tasty minstrel games," I just imagine Samuel L. Jackson saying it in Pulp Fiction, <laughs> which just says more about me. Than That's true. Else. Uh, um, yeah, C- Cthulhu Realms is the kind of deck builder I like, where it's just you have a deck of cards and you shuffle them, and you put five out, and you can buy those five. Yeah. And then, it's you know, because you've not got the annoying setup of having to separate a million different cards at the end, mm. you don't do that. You all have a starting deck, which is all the same, um, which gives you a certain amount of buy and a certain amount of punch and whatever. Yeah. Um, and you're just using your cards, you're building other cards, getting better cards, you're increasing your deck as you go on. You're getting more and more powers to defeat your opponent. And it's kind of that nice kind of take that. Because not everyone, you, you're in a relationship. Sometimes you might feel a bit aggressive at each other and you want to, you know, fight each other. And you can do that in card form without having to call the police. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, and on that bombshell. <laughs> um, um, no, Cthulhu Realms is a really fun game. I like it a lot. And I like the art. Yeah, I was just about to say, the art is really cartoony. It's really fun. It's a bit creepy. It's kind of novel to get a Cthulhu game with a kind of creepy, cartoony, colourful Colourful is rare. It seems to be rare in Cthulhu. Don't mess with Cthulhu. Why? What's he going to do? I don't know. Asking you boarding cards. <sighs> so, um, maybe next week we'll just do our top five Cthulhu games. Because, let's face it, there's millions. I can do my top three. You can do your top three and you can probably name 20. Yeah. That's uh, probably the other side as well. Anyway. Um, so, number three on our list is Pandemic Legacy from Z-Man, Z-Man Games. Who can say? Um, probably one of the people who works for them. Uh, <laughs> Pandemic Legacy is a cooperative campaign game for two to four players with an overarching story arc. There's lots of arcs in that sense. Overarching story arc. I think I just misspoke. <laughs> and that's why that was wrong. Uh, played through multiple sessions. It follows similar rules to regular Pandemic, but with wa- with more being unlocked as you progress. So we've talked about this on the last podcast, maybe the one before, I'm not sure. Maybe the one before um, that. Yeah. Uh, pandemic Legacy is this kind of... If you play Basic Pandemic, it's the same as that. You are scientists trying to stop viruses from killing everyone in the world. Pretty much, you are playing a different series of cards in order to get different colours to cure these diseases. Well, to get the same colour, to cure the disease of that colour. Travelling around, clearing up the cubes. It's very much an abstract kind of puzzle game with this medical feel. You have different powers for different players, which is something everyone likes. Pandemic Legacy takes this to another level, where every game you play is kind of saved, like a computer game. And you come back to it and you continue on your progress. And as you're playing, you open up packages, you open up boxes and 
envelopes and discover more rules and things to unlock throughout the game. So the reason this is a really good couples game, especially if neither of you have played it before, is that you can sit together and you experience these things together, you get excited when you win, you get depressed when you lose, and it's a proper journey of victory and triumph and also sadness at some times. Hmm. But it's a good story between the pair of you to take that as a couple and to play it. It's it's a good it's a good thing. It it is a really fun version of Pandemic. I think it's better than regular Pandemic. It's 100% better than regular Pandemic. Um, I never play that again. And I think the kind of evolving storyline and rules and game is quite interesting and I think it's going to keep a lot of people entertained for a while. It's not a role-playing game, but it gives you that similar kind of feel of your characters progressing, getting different abilities and not levelling up, but stuff's happening to your player and you get that attachment to that character. And it's kind of the closest you can experience that for two players. I, okay, I, I hadn't realised this when we did this list and I hadn't realised until literally just now and I have to do it and you're going to hate me. But, no. This spot should be Time Stories. No, time st- I thought of Time Stories. Time but Time Stories doesn't play as well with two players. That's a lie. We've played it with two. We started Time Stories with two players. It plays fine. I think Pandemic. <sighs> See? This is why we shouldn't do this. No, Pandemic Legacy is a better two-player game than Time Stories. If you are just if you are playing with multiple couples, then fine. I'd go for Time Stories. But I think for just two couples to play a game together and unlock a story, it's better it being just two of you for Pandemic Legacy. I think Time Stories is better with four. 100%. The, no, nothing else, the story and the progression and all that kind of stuff is brilliant in Time Stories, but the actual basic rules of play just aren't as good because you've got the two cards you look at. It's not as thematic. You don't get as drawn in. I, I disagree. I'm very good. Don't EC3 me. I... I, th- I think Time Stories is a serious contender. I agree, it's a contender, and it will probably be in my top ten. But I think for just for playing for two people, Pandemic is a better game. Okay. Do you do you agree with what I'm saying? I understand where you're coming from. I think the story we haven't finished Pandemic Legacy yet. We have no idea where the story is going to go. Same thing for Time Stories. We've finished modules. It's different. Because there's going to be another module for Pandemic. Season 2's coming out. We talked about that last session. This is true. But, you know, as, as, as a true sci-fi time travel lover... I know. I know. But you had your opportunity when we discussed this earlier today to I, mention I time stories and you didn't. It. I did. I did think about it. That's why I have an answer prepared. And you intentionally didn't mention it to me. Because you knew this would happen. <laughs> you knew. No, I think personally and professionally, as a professional board game connoisseur, I don't know, I'm just talking rubbish, but I think the Time Stories is an amazing... Time Stories is my favourite game. I still prefer it to Pandemic because of the story, but I think if you're playing with another... If you're playing with your partner, not everyone's like us. Not everyone wants to play games. I think Pandemic is an easier gateway than Time Store is. Okay, perhaps. All, it, it is. All, all I'm it saying is. is that, you know, in a fight, Time Stories would win. We've played Pandemic with pe- Pandemic Legacy straight away with people who've never even played Pandemic before and they've got the rules straight away. And you know what those people would love? Time Stories. That's right. 
Just agreeing with me for the sake of the podcast. <laughs> for the sake of the podcast, I will concede that Pandemic Legacy might be better for two players, but it's close. It is close, but for this spot, I'd give it to Legacy. Matt Leacott and Rob Davio have done a great job because Rob Davio had to do something right. Apparently, that wasn't Seafall. So, do you want us to talk about number two? Yeah, I can do. Can't remember what we're up to. Ah, uh, number two. It's just so lovely. Number two is just so lovely. Number two is Cottage Garden from Uwe Rosenberg. In Cottage Garden, wonderful players compete in the art of ga- in the art of gardening, trying to fill flower beds without covering their plant pots or plant holders that are made of glass. Plant covers. Covers, that's the word. Because they're the things that give you the points at the end. When you finish one flower bed and you've run out of um, empty spaces, you then get a new one, and you just keep getting points based on that. And mm. all the flower pieces are all like Tetris shapes. You've got a mark in the middle where you're all taking your shapes from. But, you know, someone will take the one that you wanted and you wish that they'll burn in hell. But, you know, that's the only bit of conflict in Cottage Garden is, I really didn't want you to say that. I hate you. I hate you right now. Why did you say that, Pesach? Why? Well, this got, you know, <laughs> accusational. <laughs> anyway. Um, I like Cottage Garden. It's it's fun. It's kind of lighthearted. The little cats. I like the cats. The cats are so cute. I like cats more than Cottage Garden. It's so lovely. It's um, the loveliest game in the world. It's just like patchwork, but it's like patchwork, you know, but they had cats. Sarah really likes this game. With the, we're, I think this is like podcast four of, oh my God, how good is Cottage Garden? So lovely. Um, It's all right, yeah. And it has a wheelbarrow. See, this this is it, isn't it? I, I, I want to be objective and, like, you know, get through the list and only have little bits of arguments about time stories and Sarah's just giddy with excitement about how cute... But that's how good this game is! Look how excited I am and how lovely the world is! It's just a really nice game. For anyone who's... You know how long I'm going to have to find, uh, spend fixing those waveforms because of how excited and high-pitched and loud you just were? Okay. But <laughs> because of, um, I don't know, fans of Tetris like this, it's an asymmetric game, but when you finish, you look at your flower pot thing, and it just looks really pretty, and it's very nice, and it's very sweet, and it's very it's very, it's very, very twee, isn't it? It's quite twee. So twee. Like, how much more twee could this be? And the answer is none. No, no more twee. twee. But it's just lovely. I really like it. For a couple's night, you just, you know, have a glass of wine. Play play with some flowers. Just just, just do it. It's good. Um, so our number one, I'm just going to leave this where it is. Um, if you want more on Cottage Garden, it exists. There's a full podcast review. There is. I don't know what the episode's called. Um, I can't remember. Something about Garden. It's there. It's probably, you know, lovely as hell. Um, our number one pick is the incredible Star Wars Risk from Hasbro. This Risk Star Wars Edition game lets players recreate the dramatic final moments of Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, featuring no Ewoks. Um, gameplay <laughs> for two to four players across a TIE Fighter-shaped game board 
players can determine the fate of the Star Wars universe through three concurrent yet distinct battles. Yeah, these three battles are the lightsaber battle between Luke and Darth Vader at the top, the spaceship battle between the TIE fighters and the Star Destroyer against all the A-wings and the B-wings and the Y-wings from the Rebel fleet that just keep X-wings. coming. H- how have you avoided X-wings? X-wings. Oh, yeah, there's a game about that. Uh, wow, okay. Um, and then to on d- the... To destroy the second Death Star. Is it the planet, moon, Endor? No one knows. It's the forest moon of Endor, but no one knows if that means that, you know, Endor is the name of the moon or the planet's Endor, and this is the forest moon, and there's, like, a, another moon that's really watery. But, I, <laughs> honest to God, I think this has also <laughs> been on a previous podcast. I think we just like looping through now <laughs> we've got about five conversations we have to hit every six months it's true and you know we get new new people they don't know i think we even asked last time if anyone had an answer to please let us know and i don't think anyone did because everyone's now just sat at home going forest moon rise up i don't know maybe suppose it could be both and they'll do three films about it they will i'd watch that trilogy um oh he walks all the time that's the thing. As a kid, I loved the Ewoks. We're talking about As Ewoks. As an adult, I love the Ewoks. We were talking about Ewoks, and I was saying that I don't understand why people have a problem with them, because Chewie is just a big bear. And if you think about just different evolutionary paths, the Ewoks, you know, it makes sense they exist. Because Chewie is surely from a different kind of forest planet. Well, he is, yeah. But this is just... So what's the people's problem? Well, one of, one of the questions I always want to weigh in with Return of the Jedi, because people don't like the stuff on the moon. Yeah, they podcast just do is not over, like but the speeder stuff uh, the, between the trees, I loved that when no, I was a kid. I still like that now. That's yeah. great. It's like the pod racing stuff. Yeah. It's kind of a precursor to the pod race. Um, anyway, why why is this our number one game, Zachary? Because they lie on the box and say it's a four-player game. It's not. It's, it's well, it is. So you many can. No, you wouldn't. What would be the point? Um, See, this is also a lovely game, though. Especially if you get the Black Edition. Let's face it. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the deluxe limited edition, the, whatever. The components are just great. The fact the board's the shape of a TIE fighter is just, like, amazing. You've got the battle. And let's face it, right? Who Star Wars is one of the most popular franchises of all time, if not the most popular franchise of all time. You People like Star Wars. Your significant other probably like Star Wars. And if they don't like board games, try this with them. They'll have a nice time. It's quite asymmetrical. One of you plays as the Rebels, the other plays as the Empire. You're playing a series of cards in order to put forces into the three battles that we said about. And you're trying to, you know, either blow up the Death Star or destroy the Rebel fleet. That's it. That's what you're trying to do. But it's just really tactical. It gives you things to think about. You kind of, like we said before about Cthulhu Realms being like an easier way to play um, Magic the Gathering. This gives me a similar feel to um, Warhammer. Mm, on a very small scale, but yeah. Yeah, very small scale, but it still kind of it kind of fixes that itch for Warhammer, mm. but without me having to spend like five hundred quid. I suppose that's nice in a way. So yeah, I am a massive fan of this. I, this is uh, again one of my favorite games. I just think there's so much to go at, and I I see people with their ridiculously over-the-top expensive Star Wars games and still just think, doesn't look as good as Star Wars Risk, though, does it? 
is really nice it's really good everything's just in front of you you can see what you need to do and it gives you some really interesting tactical decisions to make and all right i'm not saying it's a game for everyone but i think but i do think this list of five games actually does pretty much have something for everyone mm, i'd like to think so like you know we've got the co-op game burgle bros if you want to just play something together the two of you if you want the long-term investment of a co-op game then going with pandemic um season one just go for it but if your partner's re- not really into games too much playing a series of at least 12 games might be a bit much to ask there is that if you're a big fan of magic and you want to get that similar feel but with much simpler rules you can try cthulhu realms um if you want to play a star wars based fighting game do. go for it do, do it is. get star wars risk and if you just want something a bit lovely just a bit lovely but you know it kind of it's a very gateway theme it's very nice you just want to play a nice little twee game then cottage gardens is a really good game how are we back on cottage gardens i'm doing a summary of these games that we've been talking about so i think there is something for everyone in this list i'm trying to wrap up because we're going over the hour we have slightly rain then so yeah so there are couples games i honestly think that not every couple's the same so we try to give quite a mix um but yeah give what what is your favorite game to play with your significant other are you asking me or no just i'm asking okay. the society um yeah by all means weigh in let us know what you're thinking uh um, you can contact us on our facebook page which is the purple meeple um our wordpress is purplemeeple.wordpress.com in which you can find various reviews articles and um links to all our previous podcasts which are available through soundcloud and itunes respectively yeah we're also on twitter at, at the purple meeple and you can email us at purple meeple at outlook.com i think that covers everything uh yeah basically we're, we're on instagram if you if you're that well oh inclined. yeah we are we are on instagram we're instagram people um, so yeah, that's us for this week. Um, we hope you know you all choose to go check out MG Empire and. Uh, yeah, minion games I think are great. I really mm. like Dementano Tales as well. I had forgotten that was the same people. That's a good mm. game as well. Um, almost Escape esque. Like Meets Burgle Bros. Mm. Well, but yeah. Um, okay, so thank you for listening we are the purple meeple be excellent to each other game on dudes game on